our scripture reading today will come from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, and our text is going to be the verses 11 through 24, but I'm going to begin by reading at verse 1 for the sake of context, Judges 6, uh, verses 1 through 24, and you can find the scripture reading on the back of your outline today. The word there, Afra, is the place where the angel of the Lord came. Our spell check kept coming up, Oprah. So hopefully that won't come out today. Let's go to the Lord as we listen to his word read from Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 24. Let us pay careful attention to God's word. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Eberzrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you, and bring out my present, and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, 
the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abersrites. Thus the reading of God's Word today. Well, congregation of our Lord Jesus, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon under the terebinth tree, the situation in the midst of Israel could not have been worse. The Lord God had given the people of Israel the promised land of Canaan. At harvest time for seven consecutive years, nomadic warriors would come from the wilderness and set up camp in the promised land. The children of Israel would try to fight, but they would be overpowered and then forced to flee in the mountains, to hide in the dens and the caves and watch down below as the Midianites and the Amalekites would devour their crops like locusts that they had spent months planting and caring for. And along with that, they would watch as they took their sheep, their oxen, their donkey, their sustenance, their food supply. The nomadic peoples would leave the land laid waste. And after seven straight years of this, the people of Israel are living in the promised land that God has given them, poor, starving, fearful, and beat down. The first part of verse 6 puts it this way, the people of Israel were brought very low. And they're asking themselves, well, why did God allow this to happen? And verse 1 tells us why the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They trusted in and they worshipped false gods. And so the Lord permitted the enemy from the wilderness to take their food supply for seven consecutive years as a consequence to their sins. God is saying to his people, if you're going to raise food like the Canaanite way by worshipping the false god Baal, I'm going to take that food away from you. For those of you who have been here for this sermon series, you know that this has been a repeated pattern in the book of Judges. Three times before, we're told that the people of Israel worshipped other false gods and the Lord would sell them into the hands of an enemy. And all three previous times, they would cry out to the Lord, the Lord would send a judge to deliver them and free them from enemy oppression. But this fourth time, God is doing something different. Instead of just sending a judge to deliver and save them, this time the Lord sends a prophet. And when the people cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites in verse 7, the prophet declares in verses 8 and 9, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you this land. And the Lord says through the prophet to them, how have you responded? I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in the land in whose you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And so do you see this fourth time what the Lord's prophet reminds them of before God sends them a judge deliverer this time? The Lord said, I've already saved you from the land of slavery. I've already brought you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery, by the blood of the Passover lamb. I've delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and all who've oppressed you. I've driven out the enemies of the land of Canaan and given you their land. And now your focus in the land is to keep that salvation I have given you at the forefront of your minds and live each day before me in worship and love in the covenant relationship I've established with you. And yet instead, what you have done is worship and fear the false gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites, and you've stopped listening to my word and trusting in me. You see, the way they're living right now, they're no different, no better than the Canaanite unbelievers that they were supposed to drive out. And if the Lord didn't love them, because he had established that covenant relationship with them, because of his promises to Abraham and later more fully revealed to Moses and the people at Mount Sinai, the Lord would have just said, I'm just going to let them be. This is the fourth time I just keep sending a deliverer and saving them. I should just let them go off in their sin and be Canaanites. That's what they want to do. But the Lord doesn't do that. And what the people don't understand, as they go to him and call out for help from the Midianites, what the people don't understand is that the reason the Midianites are there is because the Lord loves them and has permitted it. It's why God has permitted the nomadic warriors, the Midianites, the Amalekites, to come into their land and to bring them low to get their attention so they will turn back to the Lord. Now, before you go as a New Testament believer and think and what the Old Testament people like, you know, they just really blew it here. And before you're too hard on them for not trusting God and falling into the same sins over and over again, it's important that you first then look at your own life and recognize that your story is their story. God has delivered you from slavery to sin. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, to die on the cross. Your Passover lamb died on the cross and paid for your sins once for all. He saved you from sin and death. God has brought you into an earthly promised land. His church that foreshadows heaven itself. 
And his word tells you that you're supposed to keep the salvation he has given you, how he has delivered you from sin and death in Jesus Christ. Put that at the forefront of your minds each and every day. Throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reminds us over and over to do that. And yet, how often, when it comes to the decisions of daily life, aren't you tempted to take things into your own hands? To trust an earthly method that you heard about from non-believers around you? How often don't you give in to the temptation of the delight of sin over and over again until the Lord brings you low? with the consequences of your sin. And there you sit, miserable, beat down, and defeated. And yet, like the Israel of old, like what takes place in our text today, the Lord doesn't give up on you. But what does the Lord do? In today's text, you will see what's different. What else is different this fourth time? We saw last week that what was different, the Lord just didn't send a deliverer and deliver them. God sent a prophet first. But there's more that's different this time. God sends a judge deliverer, Gideon, who delivers the people. But this time as well, it's the angel of the Lord who voluntarily condescends down to earth to call Gideon. And in Gideon's call and dialogue with the angel and the sign given, you will see how the Lord God will save and strengthen his Old Testament people. And how through the angel of the Lord, the Lord God saves you and me. Verse 11, we're told about the angel of the Lord who appears to Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abirezite, with his son Gideon, beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, whenever we have encountered the angel of the Lord in the books of Joshua and Judges, we have pointed out that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ who has come down to earth and makes an appearance in the Old Testament. The incarnation Son of God would later come in all his fullness in the Gospels, but this pre-incarnation appearance of the Son of God will be confirmed by Gideon when he comes to see it in our text. And so recognize that when we read verse 11, the angel of the Lord that appeared is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ who sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah. It's believed that the terebinth tree is mentioned along with Gideon's father, the owner, Joash, likely because this place had some sort of ruling status significance among the clan of the tribe of Manasseh. We will later read that this clan had a 
role in Israel in terms of the deliverance against the um, Midianites. And so it's significant, this place where the angel of the Lord appeared. And yet look what Gideon, Ophrah's son, is doing at the end of verse 11. Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And that tells us just how bad the situation was in Israel, even for Gideon. For you know from other places in Scripture that when the wheat was threshed, it was threshed on the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was always in an open place so that when the farmer would toss up the wheat in the air, the wind would blow out the chaff, and then the grain separated from the chaff would land on the threshing floor. But as our text begins, Gideon is not beating the wheat on the threshing floor. Gideon is beating the wheat at the wine press. And at the end of the verse, it tells us why he's doing it there. He's doing it there to hide it from the Midianites. If he uses the threshing floor, the Midianites will steal his wheat. And so Gideon has to beat the wheat at a place where they would not look for wheat, at the wine press. If Gideon had any wheat, the Midianites would come try to steal it, and so Gideon doesn't want to be overpowered. He hides it in fear. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him and begins a threefold dialogue with the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Am I going to call it, and I'm going to call it this morning, three rounds. It starts with Gideon and what he's thinking. And it ends with the Lord's transformation of Gideon. And as we look at this dialogue of threefold transformation, as we listen to how Gideon is questioning the angel and how the angel is leading him and transforming him, you can see yourself in this dialogue. Let's start with round one. Gideon's thinking is, this is the Lord's fault. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. Now it's important to notice what the Lord calls him. The Lord calls Gideon a man of valor. That means he's a man of great courage. He's a mighty warrior. But Gideon is not acting anything like a man of valor. When the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, he's beating wheat not on the threshing floor but in a wine press. That doesn't sound like a man of valor. He's just as fearful and scared of the Midianites as all the rest of the people. And that's why it's very important that you read the whole verse, not just the last part of that verse. What does the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ say to him? The Lord is with you, O man of valor. In other words, what makes him a man of valor is not that he's this man of great courage and his own strength. You see, Gideon knows he's not that. That's why he doesn't believe it. And it shows in his answer. He doesn't think that the Lord is with him. He doesn't think of himself as a man of valor. And what does Gideon say in verse 13? Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Let's take a careful look then at what Gideon says. First of all, notice how Gideon calls him Lord. He knows there's something special about him. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with me, 
then why has all this happened? You see, the Lord, the angel of the Lord has told Gideon, the Lord is with you, O man of valor. Gideon doesn't believe it. If the Lord is with me, why are we in this situation? Gideon looks at the world in which he lives in, and he thinks to himself, sure doesn't look like the Lord is with us. For seven straight years, the Midianites have come to our land and overpowered us. The people of Israel have been forced to flee to the mountains, dens, the caves, hide, and watch helplessly down below as they devour like locusts all of our food. And here we are, poor, starving, fearful, and beat down, and you say the Lord is with us. And Gideon goes on to say, And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? You see, Gideon, in his answer, is revealing that he was taught by the fathers about what the Lord had done. He had been taught about God's salvation acts. He heard about the Lord, how he delivered his people from the land of Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. He knew about how the Lord brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground, and the waters came down upon Pharaoh's army. Gideon knew about the covenant signs of circumcision. He knew about the celebration of the Passover that God had commanded them to keep. And now, when the angel is there, he's saying, well, where are all those supernatural deeds now? We haven't seen anything like that. If we had those supernatural deeds of the Lord and he answered our cry, he would cause the Midianites to flee. Gideon saying, well, what have you done for us lately, Lord? And here as his people were living poor, starving, fearful, beat down, and it sure doesn't seem like the Lord's doing anything to help us. And then the worst part of it all in Gideon's answer is at the end of verse 13. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see how far down Gideon's thinking has come, and likely the thinking of all the people of Israel has gone. God has sent a prophet in verses 7 through 10. Gideon didn't hear anything that the prophet of the Lord had said. God sent a prophet to tell them that it was the people that had forsaken him. But Gideon thinks, and likely the people think too, the Lord has forsaken us. And Gideon says, with this full knowledge, as we will see later in the chapter, with his own father, who has an altar of Baal. Later in the chapter, you'll see how his clan, the Aborzites of the tribe of Manasseh, at a place where there was an altar of Baal. This was like a way of life to him, a way of life to the people of Israel. Gideon's family and his clan are Baal worshipers. When they planted their crops, they would worship Baal, like the Canaanites did, and give credit to Baal for their crops. It had become so common, they had altars of Baal in their house, in their tribe. They didn't even think anymore that this would be wrong. And so it's no wonder that God sends an oppression from the Midianites to steal their crops that they've raised and gave credit to Baal. And yet that's how both he and the Israelites, how far they have fallen. 
And yet, when he and the Israelites suffer the consequences for their sin, what do they do? They blame God. They can't understand why God has forsaken them. They're the ones who have sinned. They're the ones who are suffering the consequences for their sin. God could have just said, I'm just going to let those people be now. Three times I've sent a deliverer to deliver them, and they just go back to their Baal worship. They go back to their sin. They raise crops thinking that Baal is the one who's sending the rain that gives them the fruit of their crops. I'll just let them be. And yet God, through the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, and through his prophet says, no, you have forsaken me. And it seems to be that's how they understand their relationship with God. You see what's wrong with them? They look at their relationship with God as they live in the land. They recognize that God has delivered them from slavery. God gave them the land. They remember that. But when it comes to living their daily life in the land, they live worshiping false gods. They live having been delivered, trusting false gods for their crops. A relationship with God is not something they're interested in. And that brings us to round two. And round two shows us Gideon's inadequacy. Now think about the Lord and how he's responded here now to Gideon and how Gideon responded to him. O man of valor, the Lord is with you. Gideon gives all these excuses. He asks the Lord, well, Lord, have you forsaken us? And what does the Lord do in verse 14? The Lord turns to him. Do you see how in even Gideon's horrible response, how the Lord hasn't given up on him? When the Lord turns to him, it shows that the Lord is not putting him off. He's not rejecting him. And the Lord says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Verse 14. You remember in verse 12 that the Lord called him a man of valor, a man of courage, because the Lord is with him. God tells him now, go in this might of yours, and this might is not Gideon's might, it is the Lord's might. Otherwise, Gideon would not have responded the way he does. God in this, the Lord is with you, might save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? It is the Lord who sends him. You see, the Lord is telling him that it is from him that he gets his strength to defeat the Midianites. And the fact that the Lord is with him is the fact that the Lord has chosen him and sent him to go. That's his qualification. Gideon answers, verse 15, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And with that, Gideon is trying to give to the Lord all the reasons why he's not the one qualified to go. This clan, the weakest clan of the tribe of Manasseh. And I the least, the youngest perhaps, in my father's house. If you were to pack a man to save Israel, it's not me. And that brings us to round three. What does the Lord say in verse 16? He tells Gideon his qualification. 
And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. So you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And don't you see what the Lord is saying? Gideon, none of these earthly qualifications that you have listed matter. It doesn't matter what tribe or what clan you're from. It doesn't matter that you're the least in your father's house. The only qualification that matters to defeat the Midianites is that I, the Lord God, is with you. In other words, Gideon, your key qualification for going is that the Lord is with you, and in the power of the Lord, you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Well, this should give Gideon all the confidence he needs to go to the task, but it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't give Gideon any confidence is because he doesn't understand who the I is in verse 16. And the I in verse 16 is the Lord, but Gideon is still not sure he is the Lord. But I, the Lord, will be with you, Gideon, because I am with you. It's like the Lord will help you defeat the enemies of Israel. And yet Gideon does not understand who this angel is in verse 16. Because look how he responds in verse 17. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. For Gideon to believe that this is the angel of the Lord, and for Gideon to believe that this angel of the Lord will be with him, he asked for a sign. Gideon has the word of God, the books of Moses. He has what was told to him by the forefathers. Gideon is even speaking face to face with the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, but he still wants more. And it's okay. And it's okay with the Lord because the Lord has to show him for the transformation of Gideon to be complete. The Lord gives to him and shows him the sacrifice because when it comes to the relationship with the Lord for the Old Testament people and the New Testament people of God, even today, it's not just about the fact that the Lord once saved you from Egypt or in Jesus Christ, but it's also that you know about the relationship you have with Him and that by way of your union with Him, the power of salvation that is still at work in your daily life life. That's what the Lord has to show Gideon, and he does so in the sign. Verse 18, please, Gideon says, do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will stay till you return. Do you see how patient the Lord is when it comes to his people? How patient the Lord is with those who desire to worship him. Think about what Gideon has just asked of the Lord. This is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ who has come down from heaven and made an appearance. And Gideon asks him to wait. And the Lord waits for Gideon in his front yard. 
remember in verse 11, we were told the Lord, the angel of the Lord, sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah. In verse 19, we read that Gideon goes into the house. The pre-incarnate Son of God is sitting patiently in Gideon's front yard under the terebinth tree. And Gideon knows enough from what he's been taught from his father that if this is the Lord and if he's going to prepare a sacrificial meal. And in those days, there was a covenant relationship. It was always ratified with a meal. And he had heard about how the Lord God had made a meal with Abraham. He knew about the Passover meal at the Exodus. And so Gideon's present for the Lord is to go prepare a meal. And the Lord waits. You see how the Lord is not in a hurry when His people desire to reconcile and go to Him. Verse 19a, then Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the, an ephah of flour. Notice how Gideon was not taking any shortcuts here. He goes to prepare a young goat. That means the goat was carefully selected. And it would have taken some time to slaughter the goat and prepare the goat for a meal. He then prepares the unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. An ephah of flour would have been estimated today to weigh 40 pounds. Remember, the people of Israel have a food shortage. And at first, Gideon has gone from blaming God to preparing a significant portion of food, especially for only two people. And while Gideon is doing all of this, the pre-incarnate Son of God is waiting in his front yard, sitting under a terebinth tree. And when Gideon is finished preparing, we read at the end of verse 19, the meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the Lord gives specific instructions then how to prepare the food that's been presented in verse 20. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on the rock, this rock, and pour the broth over them. Take the meat, take the unleavened bread, put them on this rock. The Lord is directing it all. And Gideon does so. Why such specific instructions? Because this meal, this present, will be an offering from the Lord. And it's the Lord who defines how His people worship Him. Verse 21, that the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. What does this mean? In two previous times that we saw the angel of the Lord appear in the book of Judges, it was to pronounce the Lord's judgment. In chapter 2, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ appears to pronounce judgment on God's people for worshiping false gods. In chapter 5, he appears and makes a judgment pronouncement on the city of Meroz for their sin. And at different places in Scripture, we see how the staff is often used as an instrument of God's judgment. Think back to Moses, who struck the rock with the staff. And now, when Gideon brings his offering to the angel of the Lord, to the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, 
He touches the meat with his staff. He touches the unleavened cakes with the staff. And suddenly fire springs out of the rock and consumes them all. Have you ever seen fire spring out of a rock before? Gideon hadn't seen that either. This was a supernatural act of God, a supernatural consuming fire that came out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, the unleavened cakes. Gideon, you asked for a supernatural sign, and the angel of the Lord gave him a supernatural sign. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. He vanished from their sight, the verse tells us. It's almost as if the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, was consumed by the judgment fire as well. You see, the Lord shows him the sacrifice because when it comes to a relationship that you have with the Lord, it's not just about the Lord that just once saved you from Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. It's about your relationship with the Lord, your continued relationship with him in the promised land where he has brought you. And that salvation fire that salvation power, that salvation, the glorious forgiveness of sins is at work and continues to be at work in your daily life. And then Gideon's eyes are opened as to who it was. Verse 22, then Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. You see how Gideon saw the fire come out of the rock. Once he saw the sacrifice consumed, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that as he stood before a holy God, he should have been consumed with the holy fire because he is a sinner. And look again at the end of that verse as to who perceives who the angel of the Lord was. Alas, O Lord God, he proclaims, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. You see, Gideon knows this angel was holy. He knows from the book of Exodus that if anybody were to see God face to face, he would surely die. But the Lord said to him in verse 23, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Gideon, the Lord says, you're a sinner. You've been in the presence of a holy God. Peace be with you. Do not fear. No wrath. The judgment wrath went upon the sacrifice. You shall not die. Because God's judgment fire has consumed the substitute offering in your place. And this is how you now know I am with you. And how do we know that Gideon understands? Because look what he does next in verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Eberzites. Gideon builds an altar there on that spot. He calls the altar the Lord is peace because Gideon now knows and understands how the Lord is with him and with his people. On the basis of his covenant, God has not given up on them. He continues to pursue them. He continues to bring them back out of their sin. And God has consumed the substitute on his behalf. 
congregation of our Lord Jesus, do you see how the call of Gideon is really about you and your call? The Lord's people, they've been delivered from the land of slavery. They fall into sin over and over again. The angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, Emmanuel, God with us, has come from heaven. He voluntarily condescended down to earth. And though his people are still sinning, though Gideon was still a sinner, he told Gideon he would be with him. Well, how could he be with him if he was still a sinner? What was the sign that the Lord showed to Gideon? What is the sign that the Lord has shown to all of us when the angel of the Lord lifted his staff of judgment, when the judgment fire supernaturally came out of the rock and burned up the offering, it burned up the substitute. And Gideon knew it should have been him, but the angel of the Lord disappeared as if he had been consumed by the fire as well. And that is what the pre-incarnate angel of the Lord, that is what the incarnated Lord Jesus Christ would come to do. The Lord Jesus Christ would go to the cross as a substitute for the sins of all of God's people. God's judgment for their sin would fall upon Him. And God would give His people, though they are sinners, His peace. By way of His wrath and judgment upon the cross upon His Son, by way of His death and resurrection, He would bring His people by the power of the Holy Spirit into a union relationship with Him. He would bring them into a state before God where they don't have to fear a holy God because they've got the righteousness of Christ that has been put in their hearts and lives. And now they are at peace. He is with them. Notice in verse 16. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You know later in the story, it's Gideon. He gathers the men, and they're going to go off, and they're going to confuse the Midianites. But it says in this verse, you will strike as one man. God's salvation, his salvation and eternal life will come through one Son of Man, one Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. That will be the Lord's victory. That will be what will accomplish that His people can be a part of a union relationship with Him because their sins are washed away and He was the substitute in their place. And when you come to know the Lord Jesus and you come to know what He has done, like Gideon, it should humble you. It should transform you. It should cause you to call out like Gideon, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord tells you, as he told Gideon, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You see, the Lord has given you his word. He has given you the sign, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. He has given you the peace. And Gideon built an altar and called it, the Lord is peace. And every time we're told in that last verse, verse 24, when the people would walk by, they would see it and know that altar, which means the Lord is congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know 
what the Lord has accomplished for you. 2,000 years ago, his son died on the cross and rose from the grave. The pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ that appeared to Gideon came in his fullness in the Gospels. And that's not all you need to know. Oh, that happened back there. What have you done for me lately, Lord? That was the attitude of the Old Testament people. Where are your supernatural works now to save us when you're the one who's sinned and been unfaithful? But the next Lord's Day, the Lord is going to bring us here. And we're going to have a sign and a seal. A visible word of God. A sacrament where you will be reminded that before the Lord, you are at peace. That visible word of God puts before you God's saving act of deliverance. That visible word of God identifies you with the salvation that has come, and it reminds you that you are in union with Him. And you come knowing how Gideon's call foreshadows now in all its fullness what has come to you. The Lord has come down to earth. The Lord Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. The Lord is with you, and though you are still a sinner, you are at peace, and you know that the Lord is with you. You don't blame God for your sins and the consequences you don't like. Know that your strength to turn away from sin and live for Him is not in yourself. That's what He told Gideon. It's nothing about you and your qualifications to be strong in yourself for the Lord. Your strength is in the fact that the Lord is with you. He's made you right with God. And though you sin over and over, He has given you His peace. And He has brought you into a union relationship with Him. And that's why when you come to church on the next Lord's Day, you will have the privilege to identify with that salvation work and to dine with Him, knowing the sacrifice for your sins has been made. Amen. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you today for the Scriptures, which Remind us of that wonderful grace that has come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice, Lord, that as we read through this Old Testament passage, we can identify with this salvation that has been revealed to Gideon. For, Lord, in all of its fullness, we see it in our Lord Jesus Christ who has come and has died for us and has given us salvation and eternal life. Lord, He was the substitute who died on the cross and paid for our sins. To know, O oh Lord, that He has restored us through His death and resurrection to a relationship with You by which we can know and live each day in peace with You. And yet, Lord, as we look at those Old Testament Israelites, we're reminded of the temptations of this world. We think about ways in which we rely on others or the ways of this world and not looking unto You. Father, we're reminded, Lord, of our sins and our need to have a relationship with you in which we know our sins are washed away and the power of our Savior and the power of your Spirit at work in our lives, which enables us, Lord, to live each day in union with you. Father, prepare us as we 
Think about the next Lord's Day. Lord, as that time of preparation is before us, to think about our lives and how we're living before you. To know that we are truly trusting and looking unto you and not to ourselves, but to the things of this world. Enable us as your people to give thanks and praise for the wonderful peace that has come to us in Christ Jesus. May we live it out, Lord, in a way which shows our trust, our reliance, our hope is only in you. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.